Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I am Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today what I wanted to talk about was something that I mentioned before about the goal of why I was reading the the, the Bible, the Gospels rather, was kind of to, to see St. Peter's interaction with, with the process of, of living with Christ. And St. Peter, who, the reason I chose him is ultimately Jesus said that, that you're the one that I'm entrusting my church with. You know, that's was Jesus's, well, Jesus' teachings all being put in into St. Peter. And the interactions that they had throughout the, the, the gospel and the journey that St. Peter has through it is really quite remarkable and in, in many ways um, kind of scary in the sense that St. Peter was with Jesus from the beginning. He was sought by Jesus on the boat. Um, to come out and stop being a fisherman, quit your job, basically, come with me. He tells them throughout the process, don't worry about money. Food will take care of itself. Food and shelter will take care of itself. Just keep doing what I say. And ultimately, throughout the the journey, St. Peter has a lot of stumbling blocks. You know, they're out teaching one day on the side of a ship, on the side of shore, they get on a boat overnight to go across it and the seas get really rough. Everyone gets scared and they're all blown away that Jesus can fix it. And he's like, how can you have so little faith? And in fact, actually Jesus says, you guys don't have enough faith a lot. Um, the same way that the old Testament echoes that sentiment a lot um, many times, but in the new Testament, he, seems to say it most to Peter, like you, you don't have enough faith. You know, one of the other examples being that whenever he jumps out of the boat and Jesus says, walk to me. And then he gets hit, stumbles by a wave and starts freaking out. Um, starts panicking that he's going to drown there in the middle of the sea. And, you know, then you get to the end after Jesus says going into the last supper that this is going to happen. One of you are going to betray me. And St. Peter says, not I obviously does the, the crow thing, but even then tries to fight what Jesus told him was going to happen by cutting the servant's ear off. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about was the one that Jesus highlights the most to be in charge had all of these shortcomings and how can the rest of us do this? So that was, like I said, the the introduction as far as where I wanted to start this cast and, and see if that was even an accurate portrayal. I mean, I could be coming from a wrong perspective or something. Well, as uh, Pope Benedict said in his uh, excellent book, Called to Communion, the doctrine of papal primacy, namely that St. Peter and his successors are entrusted with a primacy in governance over the universal church, he said that papal primacy is, first of all, a doctrine of mercy, that God could choose the least capable, the least well-equipped, and entrust him with such authority over the universal church is a real sign of God's mercy for Peter and for his successors. So 
whenever we're tempted to point out that the Pope is flawed, yeah, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. And God is not afraid of the Pope being flawed. And so he and he's able to work through that. And, and he does. So we can certainly look at all that happens to Peter as a sign of, of God's mercy. And it echoes what St. Paul said on, you know, God chose the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. And so we can really fall into a trap of thinking, oh, because I'm a chosen one, because I'm a faithful Catholic, because I'm involved in this committee and I'm on that organization and I work, you know, do service in this movement or I have this recognition, I must be better than everybody else. No, God chose the foolish to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. So we can be certain that it's not because we're great, but because God is great. He's the one who always initiates these things. So in terms of using this as an example for your own employment techniques, uh, you know, the question that I think you're raising, Joe, is, well, as an employer, if I hire 12 employees, should I put the one least capable in charge to follow the divine example? And even in uh, scripture, Jesus doesn't choose Peter based on the criterion of him being the most incompetent, uh, nor does he ever make that evaluation. We most likely hear more about Peter because he was more important in the life of the, uh, of the apostolic community in the life of the church. So um, Jesus just certainly didn't say, I'm going to set out to choose the one who's most incompetent and put him in charge. But, uh, and, and we don't even know if he was in fact the most incompetent. We just hear the most about him and we hear a lot about his incompetence, but, uh, but also, you know, as an employer, you are not God, Joe. Oh yeah. So uh Employing the same techniques as God is uh, not necessarily the thing that you need to do, but the the way that you can make a connection is Jesus went up on the mountain and prayed before choosing the 12. So he really sought the Father's guidance. You know, he went outside of his humanity to seek divine guidance in order to make those choices. And Peter was listed first when he chose the 12. And so um, that's what we do need to do. We need to pray more before making decisions. When we're choosing staff, when we're making uh, uh, offering raises, doing evaluations, when we're making promotions, when we're making decisions about how to invest our money, we need to pray more. And it's just so sadly missing in the modern day. We, we've pushed prayer off to the side. We've said it's unimportant. We rely so much on human wisdom, human studies. And the fact is that we really need to pray before making those major decisions, hiring and firing, promoting, assigning positions within, within companies. Well, yes. And, and, but I wasn't even actually coming from, from more of an employment standpoint. I was coming from a person standpoint as far as to have – to have the, the the faith side of it is that you know he he's telling Peter all the time that you don't have enough faith you don't have enough faith and ultimately at the end he tells him you're in charge of the faith um, you know that that's that's the part that I, I guess that was was what I was trying to get at because I do know that 
you know, when we when we talk about uh, the Bibles, they highlight when Jesus is doing his big teachings to large groups of people. And there's no way you'll ever get all the one-on-one conversation he's having with everyone. And, you know, that that's inherently going to be be missed because you can't write down everything, um, let alone try to remember every one-on-one conversation you had during the course of a day, let alone that, uh, that, that someone else had that you were there for. So, um, but that, that, that was the part that I want to talk about was, you know, Jesus and, and God too, through the old Testament, or the father through the old Testament, talk about how you have so little faith and as you were mentioning that portion there about just because you got a recognition or you're, you're part of a, a the faith, you're, you were born a Catholic, doesn't inherently mean that you're going to be there. And that's the same thing that God tells to his providence. Just because you are the chosen people doesn't mean you still have to show up and try. You know, you still got to develop your talents from the last cast. You know, you still got to push yourself to be better. So that was... Uh, the thought that I had all there, but it was more from, from the spiritual side that I wanted to talk about St. Peter there. Well, and, and St. Peter was uh, missing some things in that whole process. He hadn't received the divine commission. uh, So he didn't have the grace that he needed. And, but uh, there seems to be a whole process of helping Peter recognize his own weakness. There's, an interpretation of the last chapter of John's gospel that Pope Benedict XVI gives that Peter is finally humble enough that Jesus can give him the divine commission, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And he does that by asking him, do you have divine crucified love for me? Do you have agape for me? And Peter can't say it. He can't claim to have agape love for God. So he's finally come to a humble admission. And then finally Jesus asks, do you have a human love for me? And and Peter is distressed because he asked again. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I have a human love for you. And so it seems that part of the rebuke that Jesus is giving throughout his forming of the apostles, and Peter is by no means the only one who is rebuked for his lack of faith. I mean, he was the only one who, who had the courage to walk out on the water to begin with. So, uh, but Jesus is, is certainly forming him in humility as well and helping him to realize faith is not something you achieve. It's a divine gift and it's something that you need to safeguard and cultivate, but it's a divine gift. And so Peter is able to rule over the flock for longer than any other Pope did and then eventually end his reign in martyrdom. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful example of how God's grace transforms us into even those who are struggling or limited in faith to those who can exercise the faith of martyrs. Yeah. And the part that I, that I thought of was the, just the, the extremes that he goes from for on, on the, in the agony of the garden. So he's not able to keep himself awake. He's not able to keep himself awake whenever Judas slips away. Um, to go get the mob. But when the mob's here, he now has the courage to to attack. And then when he's essentially by himself in, in the crowd of people, he denies Jesus three times. And then 
he sees Jesus get crucified is with all of the other apostles when when Jesus returns and just the the how he runs down the hill to 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 just find out just is that just seems to be in some ways all over the place and how much feeling that you go through of feeling you let someone down you tried to do something that you thought was going to make it better by cutting the guy's ear off then you yelled after that and told you're horrible and not only that you're going to lie about me three times here and then you're going to watch me die and all the guilt that he would have had through that process of those three days um just seems kind of really overwhelming um, we, we sit down and think about it from that perspective. Um, and that's just three days. Um, that doesn't even count when he went up on the hill for, for the ascension or anything like that. Um, all that he would have seen throughout the process. So, Yeah, it's amazing to think about. It's, uh, it's beautiful that you're putting all this together. You're reading through scripture is really helping you to ask good questions and get more deeply into the characters in scripture. You were, you were admiring John Paul II's comprehensive grasp of the scripture. And one of the things I wanted to say then, and then it just didn't kind of come out was, yeah, it's not when we're reading scripture and when we're really investing ourselves in it and we will, when we want to learn it, uh, the Holy Spirit's also at work and he teaches us. And so some of these insights you're having are a consequence of just reading from a human perspective. But and I think you're really being inspired to ask some of these questions and consider these characters in more depth and hold them up to the example of, or the experience of your own life. So it's really beautiful that you're, uh, that you're doing that. And, yeah, and certainly, uh, Peter experienced a tremendous amount. He, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to really understand his, his whole experience. He, I think he's a consolation for most people because we know what it feels like to fail we know what it feels like to fall flat on our face. We, we know what it feels like to face uh, disappointment and to, to run into our own limitations. And those are the times when we're really tempted to become discouraged and to give up. But Peter never gave up. And that's really the obvious difference between him and Judas. Judas uh, apparently gave up after his his uh, failure to, or his turning in Jesus, betraying him, and then being guilty, trying to give the money back, but just really wasn't able to dig himself out of that hole. And Peter, although he denied the Lord three times, and although he was rebuked a number of times, he just never gave up. He kept coming back, kept apologizing, kept asking for mercy, seeking God's grace, and he kept growing and learning through the whole process. So, it's another wonderful way that, that Peter gives us an example of how to be a, a good disciple, even in the face of all of our weaknesses and failures. Yeah, in fact, actually, from the way that it's written, Judas never really even tried to fix it. He just got swallowed up by despair and and quit, for, for lack of a more elegant way of saying that, um, unless I'm missing something. Well, he went back and tried to give the money back. He, he mm-hmm. threw the, the the silver and said, "I can't accept this is you know blood money or whatever." And and uh, so 
we can imagine if the religious leaders had received him mercifully at that time, instead of saying, you know, that's your issue, we're, we're washing our hands of it, um, then maybe it could have fostered his conversion at that point. But, but certainly, uh, in the end, he, he didn't come back to the Lord. He didn't try to uh, take any other steps. He, he gave up and committed suicide. So, yeah, very painful end to a, a painfully divided person. Mm-hmm. And on that note, the one thing I wish that that was more explicit in the Bibles is, does Jesus go to Caiaphas and the Pharisees when he's resurrected? Um, and how would that have gone? Um, you know, does, does he show up at the temple when they're figuring out how to rebuild it? You know, three days later, and be like, told you? Um, you know, how, how does that go? Because they're still no, essentially an enemy of his people. He really makes himself invisible except through eyes of faith. So he's not interested in overwhelming people and, and taking away their free will. And he, he wants to invite people through their free will to repent and start to follow him. But if he were to show up to them and basically attack them, it's a little bit more like our distorted human notions of vengeance than the divine understanding of, of mercy and really calling to conversion. So um, I, I doubt that he... Well, I don't even necessarily this. mean attack him, but just say, you know, something to the effect that, you know, don't go after my disciples anymore. You know, you crucified me, drop it type thing. Yeah, it would be threatening. That would be, that would be threatening and controlling. Fair enough. I, so, I can see that side. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus doesn't do that with us. He's not threatening and controlling. So he really wants to invite our free will choice to convert, to turn away from sin and to turn to the gospel. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I guess I can just show how, how your initial thoughts aren't always right. Cause you know, I was thinking about that, you know, from the perspective of, of, you know, protecting the apostles, but I get what you're saying about how it would, would be controlling over Caiaphas and the fact that, you know, if he didn't, if he didn't believe it before, now you're just going to, 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 to essentially scare him straight. And that is a form of threatening. So that, that makes sense there. You know, so, uh, Huh. About that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the value of being able to discuss these things. Yeah, and it's it's just the different thoughts, and also discuss it with with people with other perspectives. Uh huh. That's um, right. I think so often we just get into the point where, in general, your friends are going to be on the same page with you in a lot of stuff, and you know, only listening to to like minded voices can be a a really big problem in a lot of ways. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I had that own thing with, with one of my houses that, you know, I get so invested in these things. I'm there before we start working. I buy it. We start working. And I have this vision of what it's going to be. And when it comes time to putting it for sale on the back end, I'll have someone who hasn't seen the house yet at all come through and go, okay, what did we miss? 
And for me, it's always because I've been so invested in this house that, you know, I, I, I overlook things. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm seeing to a degree what I want to see. And on this most recent house, I had 17 things come to me that were all little obvious things that took less than four hours to complete. Um, but had we not done them, would have been so detrimental to the the final presentation. And I wonder how much of the rest of life is like that, that if we don't sit back and figure out how to get a dip, different observation, how that it's easy to fall into the trap of, oh, I won an award, I'm on this committee, I'm fighting for this cause, yay, I'm perfect. Um, how easy that can happen to go back to your example from earlier mm -hmm. um, yeah so how do you develop that skill to keep that from happening <laughs> well the key christian virtue is is humility and and that just recognizes our our weakness our limitation and we want to come before god and be honest and just be honest about what's happening in our hearts what our intentions are why we're doing what we're doing. And the more that we can be honest about our limitations and be honest about our intentions, the more that we can open all that up before God, the more purified it is and the higher our integrity. And then we start to do all those things a little bit more, more naturally. So but that virtue of humility is really, is really key for growing in our Christian faith. That makes sense. That makes sense. So Father, as as we conclude today's cast, you've given us such great knowledge there. Um, are there any other final teachings that you want to give to carry us into the following week? Um, well, I guess to kind of reiterate a theme that came up repeatedly in our podcast that we really need to focus on uh, self-gift. So we're so we're often tempted to be focused on what I can get for myself, what I can accumulate, what I get out of it, what I can take from somebody, uh, what I have, what's mine. And thus we're, we're ten, we tend to be very self-centered. Uh, some people are also discouraged because they think, well, my life is not worth anything. You know, what kind of gift am I? Well, there's only one person who knows your experience of reality. Only one person knows that. Everybody has a gift to share. Everybody's life is a gift. And when we open ourselves, when we enter into a communion of persons, when we enter into relationships, then we offer the gift of ourselves by, by sharing our heart, sharing our desires, sharing our weaknesses, asking for help. Uh, and, and the more that we get to know people and also receive from them, receive their gift from them, that really develops communion of communions, communions of persons, and then that develops communities. So, but it all hinges on self-gift. That's what we see when we look into the Trinity: is the Father emptying Himself out completely, and that's what generates the Son. The Son is everything the Father gives Him, and He also returns that whole gift of self. Uh, and that giving and receiving is the Holy Spirit. So, the more that we're open to the Holy Spirit the more that he forms in us, moves us to make a gift of ourselves. 
And in the context of marriage, you have some immediate recipients of that gift, your spouse and, and children. And uh, in the context of priesthood, religious life, single life, we also have recipients of that gift and those that we serve. And so I think just to really take that dynamic to heart and work on that, get our attention off of ourselves, eyes off of self, eyes onto God will take us a, a great distance from where we are now and a great distance closer to God and closer to the happiness that we really long for. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, on that note, we thank everyone out there for listening. We ask you to encourage to, to grow the cast, to help us spread it. Retweet us on Twitter. Keep doing the five-star reviews that you have. And if you haven't yet, please do one of those reviews because they do tremendously help us. Thank you guys very much, and we'll be with you next week.